It's not always the big things that change the world. It's the small acts of kindness that happen repeatedly over a lifetime that make the world a better place. So every week we share a story of someone like you who is doing good in the world in their own way. Welcome to Doing Good with Carmen Herbert. Hey everyone, and welcome to Doing Good. I'm your host, Carmen Herbert, and today on the podcast, we have Ty Bennett. Ty, thanks so much for joining me and talking with me today. Yeah, excited to do it. I always wish I push record in like the pre-interview part because I learned so many interesting things about my guests. And I just found out that you have five kids and a few of them are like insane ninja warrior competitors, like ranked in the world. Awesome. Uh, yeah, it's pretty fun. It's uh, It's been a fun thing for our family to, I don't know. I mean, we're very active, competitive, you know, all involved in things. My oldest plays soccer and, you know, so we kind of just jump in and it's, it's fun to have stuff that we can rally around together and, and they're working towards. And it's been a fun experience. I love that. I love how I love learning about different families and different passions and some are, you know, so into boating, their kids water ski and it's amazing. And you have legit built like a Ninja Warrior course in your backyard and basement. Like it's so awesome. My boys would die to go over there. It's so cool. So I love that that's a way that you guys kind of, like you said, rally around each other and and support each other as a family and that it's something active and they're getting their bodies out. They're not sitting on their phones. And I need advice on that too, because it's hard right now to keep kids it's from hard. just vegging out all day. Yeah. So let's talk a little bit about you and your family. So Ty, you were the founder of Leadership Inc., a speaking, you are the founder of Leadership Inc., a speaking and training company with a mission to empower individuals and organizations to challenge their status quo, cultivate exceptional relationships, and compete in extraordinary ways. You are changing lives one leader at a time. I love that. So a little bit of your background. At 21, you and your brother built a direct sales business to over $20 million in annual revenues. Do you remember getting that number for the first time? Like knowing that that's where watching the numbers climb. Kind of, but we were at that stage, I think we we're judging things more month by month. And so I don't know that I looked at like the long term, okay, this equals this much revenue. But yeah. like I remember hitting certain milestones in a month and we we're like, oh my gosh, like I can't believe we've scaled to this. Right. So, so then looking at it more holistically, you can see what annual revenue and those things look like. Yeah. But I think at the time it was it was very much judged on a monthly basis, if that makes sense. Totally. And as a 21-year-old watching those numbers hit every month, did you – I mean, was it something like, okay, in my wildest dreams, I never thought – or were you like, oh, yeah, this is what we prepared for. Like, we can totally do this. Was it a little bit expected because that's kind of your nature and who you are and you expect big things? So it's interesting. I came into it – I've always been a really ambitious person. Okay. Uh, and and wanted to build, like I went to school to study entrepreneurship. Like that was an area I knew I wanted to go into. Yeah. And I, before starting this business, I set a goal, like I have it written uh, where I said, I want to be a millionaire by age 25. You know, so like I had that ambition, but there's still the process of building a business just like anybody goes through the ups yeah. and downs and the learning curve and the failure and like the times you want to quit. And luckily yeah. my brother, and I, you know, didn't want to quit on the same day and, you know, he'd help me out or I'd help him out. <laughs> right. Um, but as it started to grow and we started to build momentum, like 
there was confidence in that, like, okay, this is working. And if we add fuel to the fire and we were working like crazy, I mean, you know, if you're building a business, I've always loved the quote that successful entrepreneurs compress more activity into tighter timeframes at critical junctures in their business life. And like, that's what that felt like is just, I mean, it was just out of control, tons of yeah. work, but then it built something that, you know, had some staying power. Were you married yet? Um, so I started the business with my brother, uh, just months before I met my wife. And so she was in the early stages of the business, but we were already kind of going, um, Okay. but yeah, we got married within that year. And so it was still a very part-time income. I mean, I remember specifically the month we got married, I remember moving into the little one bedroom apartment that we were both going to school and. And my brother called me the day we moved in and told me that he had just transferred money into my account. And then he pointed out that we only made $800 that, that month. And so he transferred 400 into my account. Oh right? my gosh. <laughs> like this is the, I remember that because I was so embarrassed to tell my wife. Yeah. You know, hey, this incredible business that we're building. <laughs> uh, bucks. Uh, I just made $400 that doesn't cover our rent, right. um, but it actually led to some really awesome conversation where, you know, Sarah pushed back and pushed me and like, okay, what needs to change then? How do we, you know, if you believe in this, what do you need to do? And, yeah. and there was a lot of personal growth and things that needed to happen um, in that process. But uh, yeah, so Sarah was definitely around for the whole run of it, basically, you know, I mean, although we had started it a few months before. And so she was understanding of the late hours and the early mornings and the gone all the time type stuff that it takes to build a business. Yeah. And, uh, you know, I mean, uh, there's always, you know, hard pieces of that, but early yeah. in our marriage, once she finished school, uh, you know, she traveled with me a lot. Um, and, uh, you know, specifically didn't take a full-time job right out of school because like my schedule was crazy and yeah. she wanted to jump in and be part. And, uh, and so, yeah, we did, you know, that was early, the growing of that business was early in our marriage. And, you know, once we had kids and that kind of thing, uh, the business got to a point that I kind of slowed down, but, uh, that's when I really felt more of a desire to be a speaker, to go out and speak and to write books. And that's what kind yes. of led to career number two, if you will, I guess, I don't know if you would call it that, but. And, and career number two. So you're the author of three best-selling books Partnership is the new leadership, the power of influence, increase your income and personal impact, and the power of storytelling, the art of influential communications. You've been dubbed one of the 10 coolest entrepreneurs in Utah. You've got the 40 under 40, which is awesome. Um, my husband actually got that this year, the okay. 40 under 40. So awesome. huge honor. Um, you've developed a system and organization that helps that's helped over 500 sales managers fine-tune their sales and leadership skills in over 37 countries. I mean, um, you're the host of the Relevant Leadership Podcast and one of the youngest speakers, this is really cool, ever to receive the CSP designation from the National Association of Speakers, which for those of you who don't know is super elite. Like that is only 5% of the world's speakers. have Like that is, like you've made it if you have that. Like that's really <laughs> I awesome. I don't know if you've made it, but it means for you're- For sure. It means that, you know, you're you're making a, a career out of speaking, right? And right. I think that's probably the easiest way to look at it is, you know, you're out there speaking and being hired and it's working. 
and it's working. It is working. Last but certainly not least, you're you're a husband and father to five kids and passionate about helping leaders cultivate the relevance and influence they need to change old ways and open new doors. And would you say that you apply that same leadership in your family and in your family life with raising your kids and teaching them how to, you know, lead in, in their roles I, as well? I try to for sure. Um, you know, I, I think that when you think about kids, I think they come with certain characteristic traits, they yeah. come with certain attributes. And then there's some things that culture and family instill in them and, and you work with them on developing, but we have awesome kids. I, I mean, I, I think it's cause they have more of their mother in them, which is great. Uh, Good answer. <laughs> they, they get after things, you know, um, awesome. and it's fun to see some of that. My oldest daughter, uh, she's the freshman class president for her high school right now. And, and just ran to be, she and the, the vice president switch roles. So she'll be the sophomore vice president. Um, but it's fun to see her in like that leadership role. And yeah. now literally in like her interviews, she's like, she quoted some stuff out of one of my books and her advisor stopped her and goes, where'd you get that quote? <laughs> and she goes, um, my dad, <laughs> and, uh, you know, so it, it's fun to see that. So I try to, I think I'm a big believer that you need to be the same person in your public, private, and secret life. Yeah. You know, I think it being holistic in your approach. And so these are principles I believe in. So when I teach them on stage, I'm trying yeah. to live them in my life with my team, you know, the people that work for me, but also with yeah. my kids. And, and so, yeah, I, I don't think I'm perfect at it, but I try to. You talk about relationships a lot and how important they are and how you, you can, you can, what was the quote about loving and leading that you say? So you can love people without leading them, but you cannot lead people without loving, without loving them. Yeah. So what was your life like growing up? Let's talk about you as a kid. Did you have good relationships with your family? What was your family dynamic like? Yeah, um, I did. I, I had, was blessed with two amazing parents, really awesome uh, parents and have great relationships with them today. You know, I, uh, I've had a bunch of people in the last like year, um, who have been, I don't know, complimentary, but kind of amazed at what, like what we've built a, the ninja gym in our backyard to like support our kids. And they're like, that's incredible. But when I thought about it more, um, uh, so my first foray to being on stage and I have not shared this with very many people when I was like, I don't know, 10, 11, 12, 13 in that range, I became a magician and uh, it was weird, but um, <laughs> but I, I liked being on stage. I had no issue with that. And I was always very entrepreneurial. So like I turned this into like, I'm making money doing birthday parties and I'm, you know, awesome. that kind of thing. Um, yeah. literally, I mean, I don't know how many times my mom, the, the magic shop that was closest to us was like 35 minutes away. And I swear she drove me there like every day that I, it, it was constant. And then I decided I wanted to have doves in my act. So we literally, they let me buy doves. And no they were, way. And they, those things wouldn't shut up. They oh. would, I like, like that Seinfeld episode. Parents, patience and their willingness to support me. Oh, and it's way God. beyond like a ninja gym. Like, yes. I, 
if my kids said I want to bring home doves, I'd be like, no, sorry, no, no uh, dove. So I I had parents that were very supportive and always like go after what you want. Like in high school, I was involved in student government and some other things. And I swear my mom was like my personal assistant. She'd always be at school helping me out and, you know, oh, sharing up for different mom. things. So, uh, so yeah, really awesome parents. I have two siblings that are great. One of them I built a business with before I sold him. I sold my half of the business to him. And then my sister now works for me uh, as an assistant um, in my speaking business. So, you know, close with them and, and that's awesome. Uh, but yeah, good, good life. We grew up in a nice area, um, good relationships. And, and I always felt like I had support to go after what I wanted. So did you, what were your challenges? Did you, when, I guess when everyone has challenges growing up, but when did you feel like you faced your first major challenge? Do you feel like the fact that you had such an amazing support system with your mom and family around you, that you were able to have this confidence and belief in yourself that that you weren't really scared of, of failing, that you were like able to get out there more. And the reason I ask is I, I kind of had a similar upbringing as you, as far as like my mom driving me 45 minutes away to do singing lessons with the number one voice teacher in Utah. And she would like make me a snack on the way. And like, of course, as a bratty teenager, I'm like, Oh, I don't want to eat that. You know? And I was so bratty and looking back, I'm like, Oh my gosh, like my mom gave up so much for me and paid so much money for me to do what I wanted. But because of that, I truly felt like I could do anything. Like I had this maybe maybe overinflated like self-confidence and belief in myself that I felt like I really can do anything. So when the challenges come and people were like, you're not that good, you can't do it. It was like, it just kind of brought me down to like normal levels instead of whereas maybe some people it would have like completely crushed them and they're like, never mind. So what was yeah. what was one of your biggest challenges growing up and how did you overcome it? So when you, when you said that, I remember, so I played soccer all growing up, competitive soccer. And then in, at the end of seventh grade, I just decided I was done. And I literally told the coach I quit and I came home and told my parents and they were like, what in the world? Like, like they had put so much into me. Like now thinking about roles reversed, if my daughter quit, I'd be like, no, that's not just your choice. <laughs> like, right. I mean, it, but just I we're invested um, too. Yeah. But I, I made a decision. I wanted to play basketball. I don't really know why. Like I love basketball, but I hadn't played much. So I worked really hard. And then my eighth grade year played, you know, on a competitive team. And then going into high school, I made the summer league team, which was like the high school freshman team. But then we go to and played all through the summer. Felt great. I thought I, you know, like this is our team. We're good to go. And then I showed up at tryouts freshman year and I got cut. Oh, and just, that's what came to my, like, I remember devastation, like yeah. feeling sick. And actually now like thinking about it, I remember sitting on the stairs at my school, just crying. And I remember my dad just sitting there. I don't think he said anything, just sat next to me and let me cry, you know, oh. like, like I was devastated. Um, so, but it was one of those like, okay, what do you do with it? Do you quit and you know, you're done? Like no more basketball or do you work hard and push through and come back and make the JV team, which is what I ended up doing. Um, and, you know, came back and made it my sophomore year. 
interestingly, my basketball career never really went that far because I got hurt my junior year and couldn't play. And then because of that, my senior year decided not to, like I played on all the ancillary teams with like the team or whatever. But, um, but yeah, I, I mean, I think we all have major setbacks that make us kind of dig deeper and figure out who we are. And that was, that was one for me, but I've always, for me, I figured out that challenge drives me. Okay. I served a mission for our church and, um, I, unbeknownst to me, I thought this was just really awesome insight. Unbeknownst to me, my mom sent a letter to my mission president before I ever got there. And she said, when Ty shows up, if you want to get the best out of him, challenge him. Like, oh, wow. Really, oh, really what a good him. mom. But yeah, she knew me like that. That's like, I want a challenge. I want to overcome. I want to see if I can take it to another level. And, uh, you know, for me, I think that's part of what drives me at being an entrepreneur and, uh, you know, a speaker, that kind of thing is, is there's that push to create and go and build something. And, and that challenge is really fulfilling. Do you, do you like being challenged individually more, or do you like the competition of I'm going to beat this person? I'm going to be better than this person. Or is it more an individual? Like, I just want to see how far I can go and what I can do. I'd like to take the higher road on this one and say that it's just, you know, me personally, but yeah, other people push me for sure. Like there's a drive there and a competitive nature to not like, I really feel like I've gotten to the point. Um, and this has been a maturing process for me, uh, where I don't want to like, I'm happy when other people succeed. I, I genuinely want to see them do well, but I also think there's a measuring stick in that. Like, for example, in my world, you know, when I see other speakers out speaking, I don't see them book a speech and be like, oh, why didn't I get that speech? Like, I, I'm, that's awesome. It's awesome that they're speaking. It's awesome they're doing it. But yeah. I also then can see, hey, there's these top 10 speakers out here that they're doing this many engagements and this is where their fee is and that kind of thing. And that kind of drives me too, um, okay. to, to see if I stack up, to see if I can push or grow to that level, right? So, right. I don't know what the answer to that is. I'd like to say I'm not competitive, but I'm pretty competitive by nature. <laughs> I think I am too, but I feel like it was more it was more about beating people when I was younger and then I had such a traumatic experience literally on when I was on American Idol and competing against people and being compared that there was a long time where I was like I can't do it. I can't compete against people. I can't, I was so, which is interesting because, you know, people would say, look how far you got. And that's like 72,000 people. I made the top six, like that's crazy. But in my mind it was like, but I didn't do the best I could have done. And, and I was so upset that I let other people's opinions of me and, and judgments of me get me down and so even now with my kids, if there's like, oh, they have soccer tryouts, I get like anxiety, like, oh, they're going to be compared to people and they're going to be, people are going to be judging them. And what if they don't make it? That's part of life. And I've had those setbacks too, but it's, it, it's taken me a long time to be like, it's okay to have the drive. It's okay to have failures. It's okay to watch my kids fail because it was so hard for me to do it in such a public way. So what would your advice be to people that are 
like me, maybe afraid of that failure or competition? Like, how did you come back from being cut, for example, from the basketball team to say, well, now I'm just going to try harder and do better instead of I'm, I'm not going to do it anymore. Like having that growth mindset of now I'm just going to do it even better and almost prove to them, like, see, and yourself like, yeah, no, I know I can do it. Yeah. I think, um, it's interesting how different experiences, like what that shapes our perspective on things, right? I've listened to you say that. Um, I think part of that growth mindset is I, over time for me, I really come to shift my thought process and perception of failure. Uh, I think most of us think about success one direction and failure the other direction. Yeah. Um, And I'll tell you just a, a easy analogy for me to look at it is, you know, coaching my kids in Ninja. Ninja has very, is very clearly taught me that failure and success are the same path. Interesting. How so? Take, okay, choose an obstacle. I put my kids on it for the first time. They will not do, get it the first time. They will fail. It's new. They, they've never done that motion. It's bigger than the, they thought they could do or whatever. And they will fail the majority of the time. Like that, that if, if you're pushing yourself and you're trying to grow and expand to the next step, yeah. um, like as an example, we we're at the gym the other night and, uh, and there were some friends there and their, their son was trying this swinging, like these bars that swing that throwing a lache nine feet. So flying off this thing, catching it. Right. Yes. And he was almost getting it. And I had my son drew come over and show him some things so he could see, you know, how to do it. And then they were like, well, that like, that was so easy for Drew or whatever. And I showed him like at the next step and then the next step, right? Because once you can do it, then what's the next progression? Yeah. And there's one, he just hops up and he does it. And it's like this insane move, but they weren't at the gym with us for two hours, literally like him having an anxiety attack because he's dropping in from 15 feet up and like freaking out about it and then yeah. trying like step by step until he yeah. eventually got it. Like that was a process, right? Right. And that's the road you have to go through to get to success. And so I don't think I thought this way as a freshman in high school. Like I thought my life is over, you know, right. I was cut from the team. My whole, my whole identity was built around me being a basketball player, you know, yeah. at the time. Uh, but now I look at it and go, okay, that's a stepping stone. What do I learn from that? How, where do we go from here? Um, because none of it's final, you know, it's, it's all, uh, moving us in, in a certain direction. Some of it feels heavier than others, but you know, you just, I, I love that part of it with my kids. It is hard to watch them fail. It's hard to watch them. I've watched my daughter get cut from soccer teams. I've watched my boys go through that process. I've watched my boys lose ninja competitions, my, you know, like it, it's part of it, but I also love the conversations that it leads to, to teach these principles. Yeah. And so, guys, this is life. This is how life works. And you are going to be told you can't do it. And you have to decide what you internalize from that and what that makes you do. One of my biggest drivers, I, when people tell me I can't do something, I'm like, Oh, that was just the worst thing you could have done for yourself. Like, that freshman coach that cut me, that was my drive, man. Like yeah. he decided I wasn't good enough to play. And I was like, well, guess what? Your boss, the JV coach, he's going to see that I'm better than that. You know? And I remember going into speaking, you know, I built a successful business. I felt yeah. like I was kind of 
you know, had something going for me. Yeah. And my mentors looked at me across the table, literally put his finger in my face and said, no one will ever pay you to speak to them. Your mentor said that. Yeah. Someone that's supposed to be. I don't consider him that anymore, but I, uh, (laughs) I just, I just went, all right, we'll see. And in my mind, I was like, dude, I'm going to make millions of dollars. Like I was like, that just fueled me. Uh, And now like, not often, but every once in a while, like if I have a big contract or something, I just kind of like have this little smile on my face. Like, Good call. Good call. Good yeah. call. Um, so, so yeah, I, I don't know. I think we have to learn how to take that and decide what we're going to do with it and hopefully use it, you know, to drive us. Yeah. So, so speaking of that, you, you, you did build this awesome business with your brother, 20 million in revenue. I mean, that's, that is not insignificant. I mean, you hit your goal of being literally a millionaire by age 25. I mean that you were 21. So that's amazing. So what was the switch for you? When did you say, hmm, maybe I want to do something else? Maybe I want to try speaking. Like, was it something you'd thought of for a while or what was it? I mean, you know, you talked about doing a magic show when you were younger. You love performing. You love being in front of people. Did you kind of miss that doing sales? Like, I'd rather be actually like talking to people and being on the stage. So interestingly, speaking is something that I have wanted to do since I was, uh, well, I really understood what it was in high school. I don't know if I understood what it was, but I was involved in a program called DECA, which is like a business entrepreneur. DECA is awesome. Yeah. Okay. So you're familiar with? Yep. Um, in Colorado, where I grew up, I was uh, one of the Colorado state officers. And so as we planned our state convention, I was in charge of choosing the keynote speakers. So I didn't even know what I was doing, but I was watching demo videos of speakers going through that process. And I chose this guy that had a cool message and he was hilarious in his video. And I was the guy who literally handed him a check for $2,500 before he went on stage. And then I watched this guy like hold these students in the palm of his hand. Like he just was mesmerizing. Like we were laughing and it was awesome. And, and I just, thought that's the coolest thing I've ever seen. You know, like I, I remember that vividly Um, as our business started to grow, I found my role more and more was in speaking. I was pretty good at it and I liked the training aspect side of it. So I was doing a lot of speaking and that kind of thing. And so that kind of came back into my mind, like maybe I want to pursue this. And then on top of that, we would hire and bring in speakers for our conventions, for our sales conferences and things like that. So we brought in you know, Peter Vidmar and John Maxwell and T. Harvecker and just all these different people. And I would try and carve out time where I would either backstage or I'd take them to dinner and just pick their brain and ask them about the speaking business. So this was kind of always in mind. Yeah. Um, And for my brother, his dream was let's build this business and keep building it. You know, this is my dream. And for me, it was more like, I want to build this and then I want to go do what I'm passionate about. And yeah, this is a stepping stone for something else. And for me, that was speaking. And, um, and so, you know, we got our business to the point that I felt like I had time to do it. And so I started speaking. And then uh, after a little bit decided, you know, for my brother and I, just because of where our our passions were, it was better for us to part ways. And he bought me out of that business and is still doing great. And um, I started speaking. How did you find your speaking style? I mean, there's so many different, you've got the entertainers, you've got the people that are super goofy, you've got the, 
very inspirational and stoic. You know, there's so many, you can go yeah. so many different ways and it's so important to differentiate yourself in the speaker's world. And like what's something that Ty offers that, that Chad doesn't, or that I don't know, you know what I mean? So how did yeah. you, did you start by mimicking other speakers? Like what works for you? Or had you always had like, oh, this is what I do. This is, this is what I want to do. When so I, uh, I definitely think there's growth and, you know, refinement in that and finding your voice. But I, I, for sure what would watch and try and mimic other speakers and sometimes bomb majorly because of it, you know, just like that does not seem right. I'm a big believer that on stage, especially, uh, you have to look and feel comfortable in your own skin. Yeah. Like there's an authenticity for me to connect to you. And I watch speakers sometimes and I'm like, there's just something that's just not like, right. Like I just don't, yeah. for whatever reason, I don't believe you. Yeah. Yeah. It, and maybe they're just trying too hard or it's too rehearsed or they don't actually believe in some of the stuff that they're saying or they're not like fully passionate about. Yeah, there's lots of things that it could be. I think the biggest thing for me over the course of several years is recording myself and watching video and trying to get better. It's so painful to watch yourself. Oh, speak it and totally is. It's the worst. It is the worst. But it's the work of being a speaker. It's, uh, you know, and, and it's, it's interesting, you know, I, I don't know that my style has changed in a huge way, but I definitely know I'm getting better. And I could base that on, like, if I go back and watch old demo videos, like they're so embarrassing to me. Uh, I like, I can't believe I got hired with those videos, but, but because of that, you know, that's progress. And I hope yeah. in three years, I'm, I'm very embarrassed about what I see doing today, you know, so that that's the goal. Um, I think from a speaking standpoint, I'm, I'm a big believer that there's two main skills that speakers need to be engaging on stage. One of them is storytelling and the other one is humor. Totally agree with you. Yes. I, so my mom after American Idol, it's funny. I thought I'm going to be a I'm going to be a famous singer. That's what I'm going to do. And and that was my goal and my path. And I did, I got a record deal and I started doing that. And then I got married and got pregnant and my record label dropped me. And they were like, see ya. So my whole life changed. So then I started doing a lot of speaking and I found that I loved it. The biggest example for me was my mom. She was the primary chorister for seven years when I was in primary and she would tell stories when I was young, my grandma and the way, and all the kids would, and I'm like, what is it about these stories? And so whenever I would get up to speak, my mom's like, what stories are you telling? She's like, no one wants to be preached at. No one wants to be do this, do that. But if you say a long time ago, when I was living in Bountiful, there was this storm stories immediately bring people in. And that's how, I mean, that's how Jesus Christ taught too, right? With stories and parables. So what is it about your storytelling that, that you feel like draws people in? I completely agree. I mean, I'm a big fan. You can see behind me, I wrote a book. Power storytelling. Yes. Right. So I teach this, this skill to sales and leadership groups all over the world. Uh, awesome. I, I think story I think storytelling is one of the most underrated skills in business. Uh, wow. I think that as we learn to tell stories, we engage people, we move people, right? If we want our communication to be 
influential, which causes people to, to actually take action and do something, not just informational. Right. At the end of the day is what we all want. Um, so I think what I've learned very well is uh, I, I'll give two criteria to it. One is you don't retell a story, you relive a story. I love when you that. relive a story, you naturally invite people in to relive it with you. It, it becomes something that's emotional and visual and visceral and people yes. can feel and experience and therefore they're more likely to act on it, right? To yes. take an aha moment or to take, to buy your product or whatever the reason for the story is. Yep. Um, and in that regard, I've learned very well how to make my story connect to the audience, how to bring them into that story. So at the end of the day, I think when we tell stories, there's something in people's minds that whether it's conscious or subconscious that we kind of go, why do I care? Like, how does this pertain to me? And so if we can learn how to make my story relevant in your life, then that story becomes profound. I love that. I recently heard from one of my friends, um, she said, your brain doesn't know the difference between a real or imagined scenario. So mm -hmm. if if you're inside and it's gloomy and dark and cold and you close your eyes and you imagine the sun on your face, what does it feel like? What sounds do you hear in the background? Where are you sitting? You can kind of go there in your mind and, and your body thinks, oh, I'm in the sunshine. So do you feel like in a way when people are reliving that story with you, it connects them to you because they feel like, oh, I'm here with him. I'm living that with him. I'm feeling those emotions that you're feeling. Well, and yeah, for sure. So, I mean, if you want to go into the science of it, in our brains, there are cells that are called mirror neurons and mirror neurons literally allow you and I to feel and experience other people's intentions, emotions, and experiences. That might sound kind of sci-fi, but that's how we feel empathy and intuition, right? That's if you want awesome. to talk and, and you're like, oh, I get it. Like yes. you really feel that, that means your mirror neurons are very active. So when we tell a story or relive a story in a way that activates the mirror neurons of the listener, they feel an experience. That's what, and you can see this when you're on stage and I'm telling a story and I see people with tears in their eyes or like that emotion hits, like yeah. they're feeling it. I'm just telling a story, right? They have right. no connection to this other than they are experiencing what's happening in that moment. Uh, and we've all had that experience, right? With yeah. somebody else's story uh, that it connects, it engage, we're laughing hysterically or whatever the situation is. Um, so yeah, I, that's to me, the coolest thing as a speaker is watching like that connection aha take place and you can awesome. see it. I miss that. You know, I, this last year I've done more virtual speeches than live speeches. And in some settings you can see people's faces via zoom, but it's not the same experience. No. Right? Yeah. And, and I miss that that connection that, you know, when that story hits and I'm like, Oh, I got him. Like, yeah, you can just see it. Uh, and, and you, the whole, like being in a ballroom full of people and you can hear a pin drop cause they are just all right there in that story. The That's the coolest thing. Yeah. It, you can't beat it. No. So tell me about an experience where you had that moment where you're like, I got him. And then tell me about an experience where you feel like you lost the audience mm. and it kind of bombed. And and how and how did you recover from that? Did you end up getting them back or were you like, oh, that was just a bad experience? Because there's also nothing like having people look around, checking their watches, yawning, and you're like, ah, wait, 
come back to me, right? It's, it's horrible. It, yeah, no, and, and I've told speakers all the time that uh, if someone is not paying attention in your speech, that's on you. Like yeah. that is our, because that's the only thing you can, can control is getting better and more engaging. But sometimes the situation's tough. Like yeah. I'll tell you, I'll tell you two bad ones uh, real quick. Um, one, literally before I speak to this group of franchisees, uh, I'm in Florida. I won't give you the name of the franchise, um, but, or the overall company, but the CEO stands up right before me. And it's like the top 60 franchisees. So it's a smaller, more intimate group. Like they had yeah. earned this experience. Cool. He tells them he's changing their compensation. And it turns into a full on argument, like people yelling at each other. Why would he choose that moment to do it? And then he goes, okay, now we're going to have our guest speaker, Ty Bennett. And I was like, what, <laughs> are you kidding me? So I, mean, I go up and I'm like, I mean, there was no break in it. Like it was him exacerbated. Like, okay, guys, it is what it is. Deal with it. Okay, oh. now we're gonna have our speaker. And I was oh, like, oh my goodness. So I go up there and the front table, these guys are like full on in and still like in an argument. Yeah. Yeah. And like half of a, not half, but a fair amount get up and leave. And I just kind of had to go like in context, I get it. If I'm in their shoes, like I'm having a hard time paying attention too. Right. And so part of that, I just had to kind of push through, like, I'm going to do my thing and just know this isn't necessarily on me, but like slowly, like start to win them back and on purpose, try and like in that context, I would normally say, okay, you got to grab their attention. So like ask some more questions, try and get engagement, but that was not going to fly. At right. That. No, they would have been like, Hey dude, shut up. You know, like we don't want to hear it right now. Yeah. And yeah. so I just kind of like did my own thing. And then when I started to see a little bit of more eye contact, like I was speaking to no one at first, oh. then I started to like slowly like bring in some more humor and like start to win them back a little bit of time. I don't know that I fully did, but it, it just was tough. Another one that comes to mind. So this group, they're a 3d printing company. They're half of them are in Minneapolis and half are in Israel. Just oh, wow. So they fly in half the group the day before from Israel. And then they have meetings during the day. And I was speaking on storytelling and they're like, we have this idea. We want to do this like campfire speech, like around a campfire and like kind of tie back to like Native American storytelling. And I was like, okay, you know, like, so we kind of talked through that. That means like, I have no slides. I have yep. you know, no AV, whatever, yep. um, but this could work. So the plan is that they get there, they eat at 4.30 to 5.30. I speak at six, right? Sun doesn't go down till 8.45, yeah. right? Beautiful night, cool setup. I get there at like at three to like check everything. And I'm like, this is great. Yeah. 5.30 comes around, nobody's there. 6.30 comes around, still not there. 7.30 comes around, <gasps> they're still not there. No. I mean, the meeting planner's freaking out and I'm like, what are we doing? So about 745, there's two bus loads of these, this group. You can see them coming in. One of them pulls in and one of them misses the, the turn into this like campground kind of area they had set this up in. And so they are like, call, she's like calling, I'm like, Hey, you just missed the turn. And the guy's yeah. like, yeah, I know I'll turn around back here. We'll be back in a minute. So this one group, 745, right? They go, they start eating. 
the other group by 8 30 were like where the heck are they yes so they called down they call them again they drove down like a mile started to turn around and the bus like this is a greyhound bus got stuck in mud oh my god like, so these people <laughs> got out they're like trying to push the bus they're like covered in mud yeah. and they finally yeah. gave up and walked almost two miles back oh they come God. walking into this campground at muddy muddy at 9 p.m it's dark they have not eaten right and i'm like okay so yeah no they go they start eating the group from israel i mean they're jet lag like they're exhausted right yes before we even start it's like nine o'clock this other group's eating there's like 20 people on the front row of where we're going to set up for the speech. They're out cold, like asleep, gone. Oh, and it's horrible. Yeah. And so the lady comes over and she's like, okay, so uh, obviously this is an ideal. And I'm like, no, 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 nope, sure not. I'm supposed to speak for an hour. I'm like, there's no way. No like, way. So she's like, are you, are you still willing? And I'm like, I'm willing. I'm just, I don't know. Don't have expectations here. You know, like, no, I mean, you've no. paid me. I'm here. I will right. do my best. But so the campfires behind me, all the people are right in front of me. I can't see a single face. It is that dark. Oh my gosh. Like, they could probably see a little bit of me because the campfires are right behind me. Yeah. But I know that the whole front row is asleep. They were asleep. Right. They started. <laughs> and so I'm just like, speaking out into the darkness into the void for like, yeah for like 15 minutes and just like gave him some thoughts and i'm like and all right like so hard it, and it's interesting cuz in a virtual space this last year there's lots you kind of have to create your own energy and push through without feedback yes right which is so weird yep um, but that's what that was like like i'm just like I'm just doing this for me. I hope it's great for you. I have no idea. Yeah. But, but sometimes, I mean, you're just kind of like cracking a joke and virtual and you're like, all right, you know, and you right, just right. keep going. Um, so yeah, some of those are hard and you just kind of push through and it's just like, well, you know, you just keep swinging the bat. I don't know. Yep. Um, yep. I mean, literally like I text my agent and I was like, I don't know what that this, was. Like, <laughs> I don't know. I, Did you get any feedback from it? They said it was great, but I think it was just like <laughs> he stayed. Thank you for you know, suffering. Like, Thank you for staying and suffering through that. I, like, mean, that. I just was like, it was booked through I a bureau, forgot. and I was like, I don't know what feedback you're going to get. This was the most bizarre experience I've ever had. Totally um, bizarre. I'll tell you another one that was hard, but ended up pretty cool. So I was speaking in Abu Dhabi. Um, just outside of Dubai. Cool. First time I'd ever gone, right? Um, so I'm cool. staying in the hotel where they filmed uh, Fast and Furious. Oh, awesome. Like the cars between those two. Uh, right. Like I, that's where I'm staying, right? And I'm like, this is awesome. I'm speaking to a group of CEOs of oil companies. So I'm backstage and they're about to introduce me and I'm looking out. There's like 200 guys all in their hijab. I was like, what am I doing? Yeah. I'm going to go out and talk to these guys about focusing on being interested, not interesting. And like this, this is way above my pay grade. Like yeah. I'm so far out of my league here, like huge imposter syndrome. Right. Oh, I mean, just, interesting. Yeah. just really got in my head. Like, I don't, 
I don't know what I'm I don't doing. belong here. Yeah. yeah, for sure. So I kind of thought, I, like, I'm thinking through, like, do I change my speech? What would I talk about? Like, what would sound really smart to these people? I mean, just all sorts of things. Will any of my jokes work? I don't, like, I don't know this culture. And right. finally, just went, okay, I prepared what I prepared. If it bombs, it bombs. I'm still going to go explore Dubai. It'll be fun. Right. Uh, just kind of said a prayer, went out, gave my speech. And within like 20 seconds, that first joke just lands and you go, human beings are human beings, right? They, we all laugh at the same stuff. We all like have those same aha moments. And this group like was awesome. And oh, awesome. I mean, super surprising. So I finished the speech, standing ovation. The, awesome. the CEO of this huge oil conglomerate is like the chair of this conference. He comes yeah. up and they hand me this little trophy thing and we take a picture. He and I are standing on stage and he, out of the kind of the side of his mouth, he said, how long are you in my country? And I said, I'm here for another two days. And he said, you will speak to my team tomorrow. They need to hear that. Oh my gosh. Okay. That's so he, up, he and his assistant come up to me after and they're like, we want you to speak at our company tomorrow. How much do you charge? And I tell him and he goes, I will bring that in cash in the morning and pick you up. And I was like, okay. Okay. So the next morning, like, I don't even, I'm like, maybe this will happen. I don't know. I'm ready. So yeah. I'm standing down. Do you want me to like, do the same speech? Yeah. Like the same. Okay. He's so like, you're like, you, it's like, thing. I want my people to hear that. Okay. So I'm standing down in the lobby. This gold plated BMW seven series bulletproof car shows up and they're like, Mr. Bennett. And I'm like, Mr. Okay. Bennett, your and ride. I get in the car and he has a briefcase full of cash. Like, I'm not even kidding you. No way. And they take me to this company to give it. I was like, what? This is bizarre. Like made up. I swear I didn't make it up. I text my agent and I was like, I just got a bonus speech. And she goes, what's a bonus speech? And I was like, a standing no. This, it was, it was an encore. Cash to go speak to his team. <laughs> She's like, yeah. I got an encore uh, speech. And so did you, how did they respond to this? this it, was, speech? it was awesome. Same? It was, it was way cool. And I'll tell you just a funny little experience with that. So the CEO takes me up to his office, right? Um, he's Muslim and we're kind of talking and we're in his office and he, he has pictures of his three wives right there. And we're just, we're just like making chit chat. And he goes, yeah, I know it's probably weird uh, that I have multiple wives. And I was like, not that weird. Not that weird. <laughs> Culturally, like we know a little bit about that in it our history. Like, yeah. It was like, okay. <laughs> but, uh, I, I, the speaking, here's what's cool to me about speaking is it's always a challenge. There's always like interesting variations and, you know, you want to see how you can connect and win them over. And sometimes it feels better than others, right? Sometimes like, it's just like, oh, that was like super fulfilling. And other times you're like, and I got through it, you know? Yep. Um, yep. But, uh, but that's, that I think is part of the key of it is, is you just push through, like it, I'm hired to deliver a message and try and connect with their audience. It doesn't matter if I, I'm in a different part of the world. It doesn't yeah. matter if it's pitch dark and no one's awake. It, you know, yeah. it's like, I'm going to try and do my job. Yeah. Have you found that different audiences respond to you in different ways? For example, business corporations with maybe mostly men versus like maybe women events? 
Yeah, women are way better. Women, women are, are better? better? Oh, so much. As far as feedback like, goes? Like energy? Did, okay, so funny example. Like my ideal audience would be like a thousand plus women who are involved in network marketing. That would be like the ideal audience. Because they're specific. like, well, they're entrepreneurial, like mindset wise, I get them. Uh, they want to be there. Those cultures typically like really promote personal growth and learning and development. So uh, I spoke for a group like that and I sent some clips from the video to my agent said, Hey, I want to use this clip or whatever. And she emailed back and she said, who dubbed in the laughter? And I said, what do you mean? And she said, well, it sounds like the laughter is amplified. And I said, no. And she goes, you're not that funny. And I was like, no, the audience is that good. Like that's what I think. They just react so much more. And like, you put me in front of like blue collar men and I'm like, death like because they just don't uh you probably know jason hewlett good i do yeah he always he always he's like they're the ones who laugh inside yes like they're laughing but you just would never know that's what hank smith says he says that they just sit there with their arms kind of folded and be like you're not funny i'm funny you know like what is this kid doing that would be really you find what groups are better for you right um yeah like Honestly, like a, a group of blue collar men, like I just, I don't connect as well. Certain other speakers do. Like we have a mutual friend, Chad Hymas. He, that's where he spends most of his time and he connects so well. He's awesome in that regard. Awesome. I just don't as much. And yeah. every time I take a gig like that after I'm like, I shouldn't have done that. Like I, that's not my audience. Um, Interesting. So do you, so, or do you feel like you're at the point now where you can kind of, I mean, obviously you are, but, but do you like being able to kind of pick and choose a little bit more or do you still like challenging yourself and expanding and doing different things? You're kind of like, this is my niche. I'm going to kind of, I'm going to kind of stay here. So I'm, I'm interesting in that, um, from a topic perspective, I'm not niched into a particular industry, just more based off of topics. Yeah. And, so I speak in a lot of different areas, a lot of different industries, which is fun. You know, it, it keeps it interesting and exciting. Yeah. Uh, there, if people are approaching me about like a different topic, uh, so for example, like I've had groups that have said, "Hey, um, can you speak about safety?" And I'm like, "So here's my thing. I speak on leadership, and and partnership is the new leadership is like how to lead to get." the best commitment out of your people. If you want me to like use that approach and apply it to safety, I can do that. But if it's just safety for safety, like that's not my arena. So understand where I can add value and not, I'm going to back off or, you know, back away from some of those things. But yeah, you know, most audiences, if they're, you know, if I feel like my message fits, I'm going to be open to speaking to. So leadership in creating good relationships and as a partnership, how does this translate into your married life with your spouse? Well, I mean, I think all the principles apply, right? I think because I, I, like I, you're trying to lead me. Is she ever like mm-hmm. bugged? Like you're 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 using your thing against me, like in arguments ever? Does that ever happen? No. Well, I don't know, probably, but um, <laughs> I I think uh, no, I I think principles are principles, right? And so I you know talk about having open dialogue and, and clear communication and, and how we do that. I think that's extremely important, you know, yeah. in, in how our marriage works and, and how you validate the other person and build them up and just all yeah. of those 
things, right? So again, I'm, I'm not perfect at it for sure, you know, and there's things that I, I fail at. And it's interesting and sad that sometimes, you know, we show up as our best selves in situations that aren't with our family, right? Yeah. Like, yep. Um, I've never understood that, but I, I know I'm guilty of it too, but I just like, we can put on a happy face for a complete stranger and then like snap back into like being angry at the people we love the most, you know, like, I know it's the it weird doesn't thing. make sense. Um, it doesn't. But, uh, but yeah, I think it's, uh, as, as I start to work out these principles, um, like the book that I'm writing right now, it's called leader of leaders. And it's, uh, it's really about how to strategically grow leaders, like walking through like the approach to leadership and assessing the situation and how you um, move people forward it's parenting. Like it, it is like exactly parenting. It's, you know, I've, I've had conversations with leaders in our church. It's how we should serve with youth in our church to help them grow. Like it, it principles are principles. They apply in lots yeah. of different areas. Right. And so, um, you know, trying to do my best to apply them everywhere I am. When does that book come out? That's a solid question. Uh, but uh, best case scenario would be end of this year, most awesome. likely early next year. And where can people find your other books right now? On Amazon or wherever. I mean, if you go to just tybennett.com, you can find me and books and anything, you know. Is there a book you feel like people should start with? Like, okay, if you're going to pick up one of my books, start with this one first. So I guess it depends on what you're looking for. If it's leadership that you're looking for, then Partnership is the New Leadership is my most recent book. Uh, if it's more communication, you know, storytelling specifically, the power of storytelling is where I would go. Have you ever done a storytelling festival? So I have not. Um, the Timpanoga Storytelling Festival that takes yep. place, they started a couple of years ago. I had a friend who started a business track that was part of that. And oh, cool. so they actually hired me to come in and, and do like a three hour training on storytelling in the business track of that. So awesome. it was executives from a bunch of Utah companies that were part of it, but that's yeah. the only part that I've, I don't know. I swear every time the Timpanoga storytelling festival happens, I'm out of town. Like, oh. every time. so I I'd love to go just to kind of take it in and, you know, see what it, what it's all about. I know. I know. I think it'd be super interesting with your stories. Are they mostly stories from your life or people that, you know, like non-fictional, like this is, this is a real thing that happened. Or do you ever tell like, parables and fictional stories and things like that too. So, um, most of them in the business setting, you know, in, in my speeches are, are stories I've experienced or, and I think the more personal stories are, the more powerful they are. I right? agree. I'll tell, I'll tell a few stories about other people that may, you know, prove a point or something. Um, in some firesides and some different things, I might bring in a more fictional story or something, uh, yeah. along those lines that, um, flushes out a point, but, uh, but yeah, most of them are, are my experiences. And, and now having worked with so many different companies over the last, you know, 10 plus years, there's a lot of experiences that I've either witnessed or been part of, you know, that I can give kind of case study examples of too. That's awesome. So what would you say to someone who's like, okay, this sounds so cool. I love telling stories. I love being in front of people. I love speaking. How do I get into it? How do I start doing that? What's my first step? 
So interestingly, Chad Hymas, who I mentioned, he and I are starting a podcast called the Relevant Speaker Podcast. Awesome. Uh, that will come out soon. So, you know, the idea behind that is it's a resource for people who are interested in speaking. And so awesome. we will dive into our experience and stories and then have on different guests and stuff too. So that could be a resource for you. Uh, I think it starts with identifying what what topic you want to really focus on because long-term with this, if you want to like make a career out of it, you have yeah. to eventually build tools and be able to market yourself and that kind of thing. And having a specific topic, knowing what you do makes you marketable, makes you right. something, you know, who to reach out to, you know, what you're talking about, you, you know, you right. can't so can be like, we're looking for a woman who can speak about raising kids and whatever, whatever. Oh, that's her. So have like yeah. specific because topics. Otherwise like marketing yourself as I just want to be a speaker. So yeah. Speak on. I don't yeah. Know. You know, like it, it just doesn't work that way. So I think about, you know, uh, where is, is there demand for that topic? And if so, what is it like, what kind of groups would be looking for that? And yeah. are those groups that pay to have speakers or would that be something that you more to monetize it? If that's what you wanted to do would speak for free and maybe sell a product on the back end or, you know, thinking about the demand of it. Yeah. Uh, then thinking about, do you have credibility in that topic? Right. Like if I were to speak on diversity, for example, I have zero credibility in that arena. Right. Like it wouldn't make sense. Yeah. But it, because I speak on leadership and influence based on my background, it, it makes sense. Right. And then think about are you passionate about that topic? Yeah. Uh, because if you're going to speak on something, you have to be willing to dive in deep and study everything about it and talk about it constantly and flesh out yes. more examples. There needs to be real passion there. Yeah. And then ultimately, how can I differentiate myself in that topic? So, you know, what, what, what's my experience or my take or my perspective, my story that's different and unique that I can bring value to that. Um, and, and then kind of really identify who that ideal audience is that gives you at least the track to run on, to start to move that forward. Awesome. Well, Ty, if people want to come hear you speak and, and hear your stories and watch you in action, do you have a website people can go to or do you speak locally a lot? Or are you mostly out of state at this point? Um, probably mostly out of state. Uh, and most of my events are corporate events. I don't do a ton of public events, uh, but I host a podcast, uh, you know, actually two of them. And, you know, I'm, so you can find some stuff that way. But yeah, my website is just my name, tybennett.com. Pretty easy to find. You can find me on social media that way as well. And yeah. Awesome. And remind us the name of your podcast as well as the one you're doing with Chad again. So the relevant leadership podcast, and then we're going to start the relevant speaker podcast. Awesome. I'm so excited to check those out and, and, and listen, I enjoy talking with you today and learned a lot. Um, thank you so much for taking the time to come on my podcast and for all the good you are doing through speaking and storytelling through your books. You just seem like a super positive, uplifting guy. And I think that we need that right now. We need to laugh. We need to, you know what I mean? Like For be sure. uplifted and, and, and have that, you know, just, just more positivity right now, especially. So thanks. Yeah. Ty. Happy to do it. This has been fun. Thanks for listening to this episode of Doing Good with Carmen Herbert, available exclusively inside Our Turtle House. At Our Turtle House, there's something for the whole family. From full-leg talks that you can't get anywhere else from some of your favorite speakers, to fun family home evening lesson plans that follow the Come Follow Me curriculum. There's even short daily devotionals made specifically for your teens. 
Plus, you can get two months free when you sign up for an annual plan. Just go to OurTurtleHouse.com to get started. Thanks again for listening, and we'll see you back here for another episode of Doing Good next week.